Costa Rica Travel Pass is a paid sponsor of Mormon Discussion Podcast. Costa Rica Travel Pass helps families enjoy Costa Rica flexibly, independently, and affordably. A family of four can enjoy a week in Costa Rica for under $1,200 plus airfare. If you're ready for an out-of-the-bus vacation that your family will always remember, visit Costa Rica Travel Pass at CostaRicaTravelPass.com or calling 1-877-780-7277. Mormon Discussion Podcast is an effort to help Latter-day Saints like you strengthen your faith and to support you in your trials of faith. This podcast operates on the donations of listeners like you. To help this podcast, please consider making a donation at mormondiscussion.podbean.com on the right-hand side, about halfway down. Thank you. another episode of Mormon Discussion. I am your host, Bill Real. I'm grateful to have you with us today. You can reach me by email at realmormon at gmail.com. That's R-E-E-L-M-O-R-M-O-N at gmail.com. You can find this podcast on iTunes, but you're only going to find the most recent 20 or so episodes. So please check out the podcast at its host site, mormondiscussion.podbean.com. That's mormondiscussion, all one word, dot P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com. You can also find us on Facebook under the name Mormon Discussion, all one word. Now to what you've been waiting to hear. All right, so thank you for joining me today on Mormon Discussion. What I want to do today is go back to my favorite subject, which is which is grace. And I want to talk about grace. This was a fireside I did a few years ago for our award. And I probably have talked about this to death if you go back to the early episodes of this podcast but I wanted to do it today and kind of share with you my first grasp of grace and how beautiful the topic of grace is and and perhaps how confusing we make it within the church, but in reality, uh, within the LDS theology, within the Book of Mormon, within the definition of grace on LDS.org, there is, there is so much beauty And we really can begin to get, I think, a a better grasp of it. And I think the church has done this. If you look at uh, Brad Wilcox's talk, His Grace is Sufficient, which a lot of my views are based on, you'll look at that talk was given on BYU speeches. It became the the biggest speech, biggest talk on there that's been listened to. It's the most listened to talk on BYU speeches website. And then you look at his talk, made it into the new era, and then just last month it was in the Enzyme. And uh, in my interview with Brad Wilcox, talking to him, I shared with him that I had done a fireside on grace. And I had a uh, listener of this program uh, email me and ask me if he could have that PowerPoint to share it with his stake. He was in stake leadership and he wanted to share it with his stake. And so I wanted to make sure that uh, this became available uh, to, to you folks uh, that listen to this program. The uh, pow- this uh, episode, of course, was free. But if you're a premium subscriber, you can get the po- the uh, PowerPoint for free as well. If you're not, it will cost you a dollar. 
Uh, that's just so that we can, you know, obviously keep the podcast going and support uh, the work that I'm doing. But this PowerPoint is really awesome. I, I hope that after listening to this program that a few of you at least will buy this uh, PowerPoint presentation. It truly is incredible, and uh, I hope that uh, you get a lot out of it. So I'm just going to go through these slides, and if you have the PowerPoint, it obviously would be awesome to follow along. If you don't, then uh, you'll just have to kind of play it by ear. But the very first slide shows a, shows a picture of the Savior with two little kids. And I, I started off with a question at the top of the slide. It says, what do we have to do here in mortality to live eternally in the presence of Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ? And obviously what I'm looking for, as I have a, a group of Latter-day Saints gathered together, is they're going to begin to think about all the have-tos within Mormonism. They're going to start naming the checklist or naming the, the topic of works and those things that they have to do. And I want people, while I in no way want people to think that works are not necessary or not any required or an essential part of the plan, I want people to get away from thinking about the checklist. So the second slide starts off with Second Nephi 25-23. And again, after that first slide, I'm just kind of letting people share some input on what they think they have to do to be saved. And then I share how, from this scripture, we get this false understanding of what it is we're supposed to do. And, it, and the scripture says, For we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children, and also our brethren, to believe in Christ, and to be reconciled to God. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. And then there's the question, how do we interpret this? And so I hope the group of people would chime in, which they, in the fireside I did, they did. And they said, we have to do all that we can do, and then grace comes in and is that last little push and it saves us. And a lot of Latter-day Saints see this scripture in that light. The third slide is the third article of faith. It says, we believe that through the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. And then I ask, how are we saved? And after reading this, a lot of the members of this of this group would say, we're saved by obedience. But in reality, if we look closer at the third article of faith, it is not just obedience for the sake of obedience. It is obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. And so the follow-up question is, what are the laws and ordinances of the gospel? And I kind of pause here for a moment and explain to those in the group that if they go back to the original articles of faith and the original wording of those 13 articles, it is absolutely 100% obvious that article of faith 3 leads right into article of faith 4. We kind of make that connection today, but Article of faith number four, the original wording was, and these are. So we're saved by the laws and ordinances of the gospel, and these are. And then it goes into the faith, repentance, baptism, Holy Ghost, and enduring to the end. So those are the things we need to be obedient to. We need to be obedient to trying to have faith and leading with faith. We need to repent of our sins. We need to be baptized by one having authority by immersion. And we need to be confirmed and given the gift of the Holy Ghost, and we need to endure to the end. Grace, on the topical guide 
on LDS.org. It says, speaking of grace, and if you go to LDS.org and find the topical guide, you're going to love this definition. It is so awesome. It used to be you'd go to the Bible Dictionary, and you would see that we have to expend our best efforts before we could get grace. But the topical guide on LDS.org does not use that old definition. Listen to this. It says, to receive this enabling power, we must obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, again, obedience, but not just obedience, obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then it says, which includes having faith in him, repenting of our sins, being baptized, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, and trying, quote, trying to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ for the rest of our lives. The grace of God helps us every day. It strengthens us to do good works we could not do on our own. The Lord promised that if we humble ourselves before him and have faith in him, his grace will help us overcome all our personal weaknesses. See Ether 12.27, unquote. That whole section was from the LDS.org. Do you get that? It is trying. What we need to do is obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Obedience to the gospel means having faith, repenting of our sins, being baptized, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, and trying to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ for the rest of our lives. It would have been very simple for the church to leave the word trying out. Think about it. Having faith in him, repenting of our sins, being baptized, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, and following the teachings of Jesus Christ for the rest of our lives. That sounded smooth, but no. But no, the church puts in the word trying. Why? Because it is in the effort, the constantly rolling up our sleeves, the constantly dusting ourselves off and going at it again. And then it's that next part. The grace of God helps us every day. It strengthens us to do good works we could not do on our own. Do you see that? Even if good works were required, we need God's grace to be able to do the good works because we can't do all the good works we need to do on our own. We need grace. And so I think this slide here is the very first one showing this group that, that they start to say, Oh, Wait a minute, that's different, and that sounds beautiful. It tastes good. That feels like the gospel of Jesus Christ, not this checklist we just talked about. So then again, that definition asked us to refer to Ether 12.27, which the next slide talks about. Ether 12.27 says, And if men come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness. I give unto men weakness. Dot, 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 dot. And I ask... Where did our weakness come from? And as I see the scripture, I've got it in bold. I give unto men weakness. It becomes obvious that it is our Father in heaven, our creator, and his son, Jesus Christ, who gave us our weakness. And by weakness, I mean the natural man, one who, as Nephi says, succumbs easily, besets so easily by the sin by the sins around him, by the temptations around him. Nephi says, the sins which do so easily beset me. That is the weakness that Heavenly Father gave each and every one of us. So where does our weakness come from? The answer is from Christ, from God, from our Creator. 
Now, before we go to the next slide, let your brain travel a little bit. Start taking everything to its natural course. Why would God give us weakness? Why would God have us fall short intentionally, not have enough to get it done on our own? Why would he do that? Now, the next slide says, Was Nephi almost perfect, doing all he could do? Second Nephi, chapter 4, 17 and 19. And again, this is the scripture I just talked about. Now, remember, Nephi is so righteous, right? And he's always making the right choices. And he goes and does all the things the Lord hath commanded him. And yet, after his father Lehi dies... Nephi says this, he says, Nevertheless, notwithstanding the great goodness of the Lord, in showing me his great and marvelous works, my heart exclaimeth, O wretched man that I am. Yea, my heart sorroweth because of my flesh. My soul grieveth because of mine iniquities. I am encompassed about because of the the temptations and the sins which do so easily beset me. And when I desire to rejoice, my heart groaneth because of my sins. Nevertheless, I know in whom I have trusted. Now think about that. Nephi, as righteous as he was, is showing that each of us, him and him included, that each of us given so easily to sin. Why? Because we're weak. Why? Because God made us that way. And Nephi ends by saying, nevertheless, I know in whom I have trusted. The next slide talks about Paul the Apostle and points to the scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 7 through 10. He says, Unless I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Now I'm going to pause here for a moment. It becomes obvious by reading the first two parts of this, of this scripture that Paul has some severe weakness, something that he can't overcome, something that, that tackles him in his attempt to be Christ-like. He says he even besought the Lord three times that it might depart from him. Robert Millet says he does not believe these were just three quick prayers, but three seasons of prayer. Three extended periods of time asking the Lord to set this weakness of his aside. Now I'll finish the scripture. He says, and he said unto me, talking about Christ, and he said unto me, Christ said unto Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. There we go again. The recognition of, of him being weak. Now, Ether, in Ether 12.27, there was a recognition that God gives us our weakness. And Paul here says that when he is weak, he is actually strong. And he talks about God's grace being sufficient. The next slide talks about Alma, chapter 22, verse 14. The very beginning of this says, And since man had fallen, 
he could not merit anything of himself. But the sufferings and death of Christ atone for their sins through faith and repentance and so forth, that he breaketh the bands of death, that the grave shall have no victory, and that the sting of death shall be swallowed up in the hopes of glory. And Aaron did expound all these things unto the king. And the question I ask here is, while you created the debt, because of your weakness, because of your susceptibility to sin, what percentage of the debt is yours to pay? Again, the first part, and since man had fallen, he could not merit anything of himself. You see that? We have no merit in our works. Now, I don't want that to come across the wrong way. Again, our works are essential, they are required, they are necessary. And so you have to start to ask yourself, what is their purpose? And since man had fallen, he could not merit anything of himself. We can merit zero. We're already fallen. There's nothing we can do to redeem ourselves. In fact, King Benjamin says, the more we do, the more we become unprofitable servants. No matter how hard we work at it, we keep digging a bigger hole. And then he says, but the sufferings and death of Christ atone for their sins. So Christ's atonement is what merits our, our being redeemed from the fall. And we merit those through what? Through faith and repentance and so forth. In other words, we merit our, this through trying to live the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, trying. So while the debt is yours, you can't pay any of it through your own merits. Well, that sounds different than what we talk about sometimes, right? Well, let's see if there's anybody else who, who wants to bear witness of the same principle. So 2 Nephi, chapter 31, 19 through 20. Now, verse 1 through 18 completely talks about faith, repentance, Baptism and Holy Ghost. Please, go back and read it. See for yourself. It's talking about the doctrine of Christ. And then it says, And now, my beloved brethren, after you've gotten into the straight and narrow path, I would ask if all is done. Behold, I say unto you, Nay, for ye have not come thus far, save it were by the word of Christ, with unshaken faith in him, relying wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, upon the merits of him who is mighty to save. Relying completely, entirely, upon the merits of Christ. Those are my words. Now, back to the scripture. Wherefore, you must press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope, and a love of God, and of all men. Wherefore, if ye shall press forward, feasting upon the word of Christ, and endure to the end, behold, thus saith the Father, ye shall have eternal life. In other words, keep moving forward in the gospel. Don't set a bar, don't set a line and say, I have to be this good today. But keep moving at it. Keep pushing. Keep going forward. Keep reaching towards Christ. Again, my words. Back to the scripture. And now behold, my beloved brethren, this is the way and there is none other way nor name given under heaven whereby man can be saved in the kingdom of God. There's no other way. And there's no other name under heaven. It's Christ's merits. 
through your continual pressing forward. It makes it clear. All of a sudden, the gospel starts to come into focus. Next, slide talks about a covenant relationship with Christ. At baptism, what do we promise? And so individuals who raise their hand will spout off the idea that we are to keep the commandments, that we are to take upon ourselves the name of Christ, that we are to mourn with those that mourn and comfort those that stand in of comfort. We are to stand as a witness of Christ at all times, all places, and all things. And they're right. And I refer them to the sacrament prayer. And I refer them to Messiah 18, 8 through 10. But I do mention that both in the sacrament prayer and in Mosiah 18, 8 through, 8 through 10, when it refers to keeping the commandments in the sacrament prayer, sacrament prayer, it talks about being willing. And in Mosiah 18, 8, 8 through 10, it also talks about being willing. And even the Savior himself in 3rd Nephi, and I don't know what chapter it is off the top of my head, it's not part of this PowerPoint, but when he introduces the sacrament to the Nephite, he even uses the word willing in reference to keeping the commandments. And then I put, what is the promise? So that's the part we say we'll do. At baptism, what do we promise? And then in, he in turn promises you his spirit and forgiveness in as much as you repent. Next slide. I talk about justification and sanctification. Justification, to be justified is to be pardoned from sin and declared guiltless. This is essentially to have your sins wiped away. But being justified alone won't cut it. The second part is sanctification. Sanctification, the process of becoming holy through the atonement of Christ, becoming perfected in Christ and progressing towards becoming perfect in eternity. We are told that to get back to the Father, we must be both justified and sanctified. We talk about Doctrine and Covenants section 19. I believe it's verses 15 through 18. Could be wrong. But it talks about if we will not suffer for our sins, if we will not, I'm sorry, if we will not repent of our sins, we will have to suffer for them, even as Christ suffered for them. But the comment here is that even suffering for our sins and becoming clean or justified will not change us. That those who waltz into the to the spirit world saying, you know what, I'll just suffer for my sins in this life, and then I'll waltz into the celestial kingdom, are dead wrong. Being justified alone will not do it. And in fact, we can show that with Doctrine and Covenants section 88, verse 21, which says to enter the celestial kingdom, we must also be sanctified. That being justified alone does not cut it. We can use Alma chapter 5 and talk about the mighty change. We can use Moroni chapter 10, verse 32 and 33, to talk about being perfected in Christ. It is this sanctification, or this continual progression and changing towards becoming Christ-like. Now, back to, why does God make us weak? Why, in our weakness, are we strong? What does it take to live the gospel to change over time. The next slide, back to Ether 1227. We talked, we left off at, I give unto men weakness. Now let's finish the scripture. The next part, that they may be humble. God made us weak. 
so that we will be humble. And then it says that they may be humble and my grace is sufficient for all men that humble themselves before me. For if they humble themselves before me and have faith in me, then will I make weak things become strong unto them. Do you see? God gave us weakness so that we would fall short. So that as we tried to perfect ourselves, we would eventually bang our head into the wall enough times that we would realize we can't do it on our own, own, and we would be humble. And when we finally become humble and turn ourselves to Christ in his atonement, then is his grace sufficient for us, for all of those who humble themselves before him, and for those who humble themselves before him and have faith in him, then he will make, he will make. You see, some people have sins, pornography, whatever it is, addictions, uh, whatever their weaknesses are. They did something in the past, they don't, whatever it is. They often try to perfect themselves. They try to just get past it on their own. And it never works. Because they're forgetting the last part of the formula, which is talking about Christ, then will he make weak things become strong unto them. It is only when we turn to Christ, humble ourselves, seek his atonement and his grace, seek that covenant relationship where he is our 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 partner, our this Christ-like covenant relationship with him where he joins with us and helps us make weak things become strong. That's why Paul said, when I am weak, I am strong. Because he has Christ, because he's humble, because he's seeking the Lord, he's seeking grace. Now, Helaman, chapter 3, verse 35, the next slide, says, Nevertheless, they did fast and pray oft, and did wax stronger and stronger in their humility. Why did they wax stronger? This is me talking. Why did they wax stronger in their humility? Because they... They realized they couldn't do it. Why did they fast and pray? Because they wanted Christ's strength. They waxed stronger and stronger. Their their weaknesses became strengths because of their their pressing forward as they fasted and prayed oft and in their humility. Now back to the scripture. And firmer and firmer in their faith of Christ under the filling of their souls with joy and consolation. Yea, even to the purifying... Now I'm going to add in here, cleansing, justification, back to the scripture, and the sanctification, back to me, the changing of their heart. Of their hearts, quoting here the scripture, with sanctification, which sanctification cometh because of their yielding their hearts unto God. Listen to that. The purifying and sanctification of their hearts, which sanctification cometh because of their yielding their hearts to God. When you become humble and you turn yourself to Christ and into His grace, into His atonement, and as your weaknesses become strengths, it's because of you having yielded your heart unto God in that in that becoming humble, in that turning to Him. Now, here's where my part of the PowerPoint ends. And what you should do from this point is put on Brad Wilcox's, 
My grace is sufficient. You'll have to preset it so that it skips into about a minute and 15 seconds or so to get past the introduction and gets to right where he starts talking. Then play about the first 15 to 17 minutes of his talk. If you use Brad Wilcox's talk at the end of this, it will be in the mouth of two or three witnesses. It will take this view of grace and it will have Brother Wilcox testifying of it as well. And then you can point members back to the Enzyme, to the New Era, to this talk on BYU speeches. The last slide shows a picture of the Savior next to the lady at the well where he speaks of living water. I bear witness that God's grace really does make weaknesses strengths. And I bear witness that in my life, when I have been weak and humble and yielded my heart to God, then am I strong. I hope that anybody who listens to this podcast is strengthened. I hope you start to see that just because the 50 people around you teach you the gospel a certain way doesn't mean that's the gospel. As Elder Uchtdorf said, seek after truth. Go get it. Find it. Whether it's in the church or out of the church, go get it. But I bear witness to you that this is the Lord's authorized institution. This is his church. That there are prophets and apostles who are called of the Lord. I bear witness that the Holy Ghost is here. Not that it isn't anywhere else, but that it's here in abundance. I bear witness that as you seek to understand these principles. It doesn't mean that I'm teaching some some new way, some new gospel. But rather, I am teaching the gospel the way the Book of Mormon has explained it. And while there's been confusion at times over the ages, I bear witness that if you seek and search, you'll find these truths testified of over and over again by those who are called of our Father in Heaven to lead His church I am not in any way, all too often in the news lately, we have heard of people who have blogs or who write books or who do other things, who try to teach a version of the gospel that that they claim to have been enlightened on, that they say the church has lost track of. But I want to bear witness to you that, for instance, Elder Bruce R. McConkie's talk, What think ye of salvation by grace? There is a quote in there by Elder McConkie that says, We are not saved by works, not even those of God. If we go to Gerald Lund's talk, is it grace or works? Something along the lines of grace or works. He talks about how salvation is the exaltation. The salvation spoken of in the New Testament is the exaltation the saints seek after. It's a wonderful talk by Elder Lund. If you look at Stephen Robinson's parable of the bicycle, while he places some merit on our chipping in, no matter how small that amount is, and while I disagree with that slight stance he takes in his talk, the rest of his talk is beautiful. And it starts to open up the idea that there's two things going on. There is us pressing forward in the gospel, and there is Christ and his grace and his mercy and his atonement making our weaknesses strengths. If you look at Robert Millett's talk in Women's Conference, and I, I will post it with this episode, so please check out mormondiscussion.podbean.com 
to get all these talks. I'll line up a bunch of scriptures there as well. I hope that you'll find a way to think about these things, and if you feel impressed to do so, to take this PowerPoint, this presentation, and use it as a fireside in your own ward and stake. I bear witness that Jesus is the Christ, that he loves us, that his atonement is real, and that we are saved through his merits, mercy, and grace by relying wholly upon him who willingly gave his life for us. And I bear witness of that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 